Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. You guys good? You excited? You glad to be here, pumped up, ready to go? Man, I gotta be honest, the nine o'clock was like a little more into it than you were, but that's okay. I'm not judging you. God might, but I'm not, so we're good. Uh, If we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Anthony, and along with my wife, Katie, uh, we are your campus pastors here at RLC. If you're not familiar with what that is, I totally forgive you. There's not many of us out there, Uh, but really, here's what that means for our church, and just wanna put this in front of you. Uh, If we do anything with starting new churches, Um, I get the pleasure of being involved in that. And so we're starting Rosemary Community Dinner last year. Uh, We're hoping here in the next year or so to start another Sunday morning campus and experience a church in another community. Uh, If that's something that interests you or something you're like, man, I'd love to hear more about that or maybe be involved on some level, I would love to talk to you. And so you can connect with me here in person or if you're more of an email person, uh, anthony at myrlc.family is the way to go. Uh, Also just want to put something else in front of you as you, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Mark chapter 11, whether that's a physical copy or on your phone or iPad, or maybe you're like carrying a laptop for some reason. Uh, But Mark chapter 11 is where we'll be. While you're turning there, we do have an incredible opportunity here every Thursday night here at our Wadsworth location. Uh, We have Recovery 836. And a lot of times when we think of recovery programs, we're thinking somebody who's coming out of drug addiction, abused alcohol, whatever it might be. But 836 is really more than that. Like it definitely is for that, but it's also for people with habits, hurts, hangups, things that you're just like, man, I am out of step with where I'm supposed to be. And I would love to have a community rally around me and be a part of this thing. So we'd love to have you there every Thursday night at seven o'clock over in the community center. So. I will preface this by telling you to bear with me. Uh, My voice, this is as good as it sounded today because Jay Kelker brought me some tea in between services. My voice might start to go out. I promise you I'm okay. Uh, You're just gonna sound like you're hearing somebody who's like chewed gravel for the last few days, all right? But it's gonna be awesome because this is really good. I love the series we're in. We're in week two of a series called The Passion and we are looking at the final week of Jesus And here's the thing about days of the week. Every single day of the week has a different feel, right? Like a Wednesday feels different than a Friday. A Sunday feels different than a Tuesday. A Saturday is definitely better than a Monday, right? Like if you ask somebody and you even research online, you're like, hey, what is the best day of the week? You're gonna get two responses, Friday, or Saturday, right? Friday is like the end of the work week, end of the school week, you are so excited to be done. Saturday, it's like a day if you're a Monday through Friday working person. Saturday's your day, do what you wanna do, right? You wanna sleep in? Sleep in. I don't know how many people even have an alarm set for Saturday, right? You do for Monday through Friday, you might for Sunday. Saturday, you don't because it's a good day, you get to sleep in. Now, if I were to ask you what is the worst day of the week? Is there any debate on any other day of the week except for Monday? No chance, right? Like nobody wakes up, you don't get to work one day and they're like, seems like somebody's got a case of the Thursdays. 
Like, no, it's a case of the Mondays, right? Monday, you're at the beginning of the work week, beginning of the school week, everything's in front of you. And if you're being honest, you're already tired, right? You might've stayed up too late on Sunday, whatever the case might be, but Monday tends to be the worst day of the week. And for us today, we are in Monday of the Passion Week. And here's the thing about this Monday. Uh, This Monday is the one day where Jesus's actions to some people seem to be a little out of character for him. There are things that Jesus does on this Monday that people like me who will say Jesus lived a perfect sinless life, some people will say, are we sure? Because I read about that Monday before Easter, Jesus seemed a little heated. And maybe he did something that was out of character. So before we jump into Mark chapter 11, there is a foundational truth that I want to remind us for those of us in the room or watching online who are followers of Jesus. And the truth is this, is that Jesus does everything with a plan and a purpose. Jesus does everything with a plan and a purpose. So even if it seems a little different, what Jesus does is not outside of his character. Even if it sounds a little weird, what Jesus says, and in this case, what he says it to, are not actually negative. They're not actually sinful. What he does here is he does everything with a plan and with a purpose. And so that takes us to Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 12. It says this, the next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. How many of you know right there, no story that ever started with somebody being hungry went very well very long, right? Like you didn't go, oh, after Jesus left, he was hungry and it was a great day. Jesus was hungry. So now we just know there's some hunger happening, right? And then it continues, it says, he noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then he said to the tree, so notice, Take a break. Notice what's happening. Jesus has his disciples with him. He's not talking to them. He's talking to a tree. And he says this, may no one ever eat your fruit again. Now notice, there's an exclamation point there. So he doesn't like whisper it so his boys don't hear it. He's not like, oh, I hope nobody ever eats your fruit again. No, he yells it at the tree. And Mark lets us know the disciples heard him say it. So in other words, Jesus said this on purpose. He had a plan. He said it loud enough that everybody could hear he's yelling at a tree. To some people, it seems a little excessive. To some people, it seems a little weird. To some people, it seems incredibly angry. But here's what Jesus is dealing with. This tree is a picture of false advertising. This tree is in full leaf, full bloom, So the expectation is, regardless of season, if I go up to this tree in full leaf, it's gonna have fruit. The problem Jesus has with the tree is that it's all leaves and no fruit. We'll get back to that. So now what happens in the story is Mark does what Mark does quite a few times in his gospel. He actually kind of shifts the story a little bit and he goes from talking about the fig tree to now the setting changes. But what Mark likes to do is Mark likes to tell two stories to share 
one truth or help you see God the right way through a collection of things. And so he's gonna go from the fig tree to the temple and then we're gonna notice he's gonna go back to the fig tree. But here's where we're at with the temple starting in verse 15. It says, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him, but they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. Now, for people to be buying and selling in the temple is not out of the ordinary. This would actually be pretty normal to have people selling in or around the temple because people would come to make sacrifices. They had to have something to sacrifice. And so a lot of people making a long journey, they're not bringing an animal with them. They're gonna buy one outside the temple or right inside the temple. So what's the problem Jesus had that caused him to start throwing stuff, to start chasing people out, to turn over tables, to do everything he does? What's the problem? Well, most people tend to think, There's two problems happening in the temple that day. The first is where the buying and selling was happening. So the temple is a huge place, huge footprint, lots of places to go. But in all of the temple, there is one place where the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, could go to worship and go to pray. Somebody creatively named it the Court of the Gentiles. Super creative, right? Like we got this court, what do we call it? Uh, How about Court of the Gentiles? where the Gentiles hang out. Awesome job, right? I want that guy's job. But in the court of the Gentiles, this is the one place where they could go to pray and go to worship. And because it's festival time, there are so many more people at the temple that it is crowded. It is stressful. It's like shoulder to shoulder. You are trying to find your way around and people are just stressing out because of the crowd at the temple and they decide, we're gonna take the court of the Gentiles. This isn't their festival anyways. We're just gonna go for it. So that's the first problem Jesus had. He said, hey, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. You're kicking out all the nations except for one. But the other problem he had was this, was how the buying and selling was happening. So once again, normal to buy and sell, but what they did is they would inflate their prices because they knew it's crowded and it's stressful. So it's kinda like if you go to a Guardians game this summer, And it's like 95 degrees and you're out where there's no shade and you are thinking, for the love, all I need is some water. You're gonna pay like six bucks for a bottle of water, right? Because they know they got you. You are there, you don't wanna miss the action, you don't wanna walk away, we're gonna charge you more for this water that by the way, you could literally do this and turn it on at your house. We're gonna charge you more, they know they got you. This is what's happening in the temple. They're buying and selling at inflated prices, taking advantage of people. And here's the thing about Jesus. He is never cool with people who say they represent God, representing him poorly. Doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect. Doesn't mean you're not gonna make mistakes, but to knowingly decide, man, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna hurt the reputation of God. He's not cool with it. So then the story continues Because once again, Jesus does everything with a plan and a purpose. And we go back to the fig tree. We're kind of stepping away from Monday and now into Tuesday morning. Get a little more clarity. It says, that evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. 
The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day. I want to say no duck because you heard him yell at a tree. That's not, a, that's not normal, right? So like you're going to remember that he did this. But then he said, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. So Jesus didn't just like verbally yell at the tree. He cursed the tree to the point that now it's actually dead. Once again, to some, it might seem out of character. To some, it might seem excessive. To some, it might seem like Jesus is just having a really bad case of the Mondays in the midst of this really important week. But what we know is true is Jesus does everything with a plan and with a purpose. So the question we're going to wrestle with for now is what is the plan, what are the purposes that Jesus has in this story? And so we're going to start with another truth about Jesus that's really important if we're going to make sense of everything else that's going to be said this morning. And the first thing we're going to pull out of this is this, is that Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge. So if you know me, you know I got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a newborn at home, and my six-year-old and four-year-old fell in love with a show called Bluey. <clears throat> How many of you guys have ever seen Bluey before? Okay, so you're, you're familiar. Nine o'clock, not a lot of Bluey people, okay? But here's what's, here's, I'm just going to tell you about Bluey. Bluey's one of those shows where I'm like, my kids are like, hey, Dad, can we watch TV? My thing is like, Bluey? We're going to watch Bluey? Can we watch Bluey? Because Bluey's pretty great, right? It's better than Muppet Babies, better than all that stuff on Nick Jr., like whatever. Bluey is how you do it, okay? Bluey's an awesome show. Now, what I love about the show is Bluey, the main character, the daughter, she's really, really creative. Like her whole job, the way her parents express it is like, your job is to make up games for us to play. That sounds really great on a TV show, but when your six-year-old decides that he is going to take the mantle of Bluey every time we sit in a car, it's a little different. So we'll get in the car every single morning to go to school. He's like, Dad, you wanna play a game? <clears throat> sure, what game you wanna play? Well, it's this game I made up. And you can tell he's making it up as he's explaining it to you. And what I'm thinking in my head is like, I don't wanna kill your creativity, but this sounds so dumb. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So he's making up this game, and he does this all the time, right? And he starts making up rules. Now, it's cool, like that's creative, but here's what's not cool. You start playing that game, and if you made up the game, and you made up the rules, at six years old, you just continue making up rules in your advantage and to your favor, right? So the whole time he's playing this game, it's like, oh, you can't play like that. Oh, by the way, here's this other rule I forgot to tell you. I'm going to start making you write the rule book out before we start, okay? So for me, I'm like, you know what? I'm a grown man. I don't have to win every single time. So sometimes I'm just like, hey, buddy, you beat me. Good job. But then you get my four-year-old son who's like pretty smart, Okay. And he'll listen to these rules and he'll keep one-upping his older brother. But his older brother's like, no, no, can't do that, can't do that. To where eventually I have to be the one to step in and say, hey, buddy, your brother beat you, game's over, like, good job, way to be creative, be a good sport, all that stuff. Because what my car needs with a six-year-old that cheats and a four-year-old that's just trying to play, <clears throat> man, my car needs a judge. My car needs somebody who can say, here's the line, we're done. It's over. We're done playing. Here's who won. And in our world, here's what I'll tell you. We need the exact same thing. 
We need somebody who is perfectly fair to tell us what's right and wrong. We need somebody who's perfectly righteous to tell us, here's how far you can go, but you're not going any further. We need somebody who sees us, who gets us, not just on the outside and the reputation of what we present, but who we are on the inside. We need somebody who can judge our lives and call the shots in our life. But here's the other thing I know is true about us. It's 2023, and we have had decade upon decade upon decade upon decade of telling ourselves, ain't nobody going to judge me. Who has the right to judge me? Because what we've tended to think, and, and here's the thing, a lot of us would say, like, well, that's not me, but it's just like the current we've swam in for so long that I don't even think we can recognize it. We tend to think we're the center of truth. That me, myself, I'm the center of purpose. I am where I find my meaning. I am where I find my calling. I am where I figure things out. We tend to think that we're the ones who should be the center of our lives. And if you don't believe me, look at how many of us live our lives. We tend to make ourselves the center and then just hope everything else works out because this is the cultural air we've been breathing for so long. Even in churches and with, with Christians, it's unreal how many times as a pastor I can sit down with somebody and they can tell me what they're going through and I can say like with all the love in the world, hey, like I, I hear you, but can I tell you, here's what God's word says about it. And it's amazing how many times they're like, ah. Or like, yeah, I get that, but... And what I want to be like is like, there's no but. Like, it's right, it's not even, like, there's a lot of gray in the Bible, I'll give you that. But like, this is black and white, there's no but there. But because this is just the air we breathe, we tend to go back to ourselves all the time as like, man, we're, we are the center. We need to be reminded, we are not the center of anything. We are not where we find purpose. We are not where we find meaning. I do not get to, to make my own calling. We are not the center of anything. We need Jesus who's perfectly righteous, perfectly fair, sees us clearly from the inside out. We need him to be the judge of our lives. And what I'll tell you is this, that's actually really good news. It's actually the best news you're gonna hear today. And here's why. Because the judge is also the justifier. So the judge, the one who could tell us, here's how far you can go, here's what you should and shouldn't do, what I'd say you can and can't do. He's also the one that says, you're good. He's also the one that says, you're right with God. That when we have a relationship with Jesus, what happens is the one who is here to judge us is also the one we're being judged off of. That when we stand before God, it's not, how are you on your best day and how are you on your worst day? It's not, did you do more good than bad? Were your intentions good? What God judges us off is the life death, burial, resurrection, perfection of Jesus Christ. The judge is also the justifier. And that's really, really good news because here's what that tells us is that there's no fear and judgment for those that are his. That if you're his, you don't have to be afraid when you're taking your last breath. You don't have to worry about what's gonna happen. You can be like, like people like my grandparents who were in their 80s and my grandpa passed away from cancer and what you hear him say all the time is he's just like, I'm just ready to go to heaven. That was not a, I can't wait to get away from you, although I wouldn't blame him. It was a, I am confident that what's waiting for me is so much better. When you see somebody, like I've had the privilege of being in the room when two of my grandparents have passed away and seeing the peace 
that comes over them. Seeing what happens in the room when they are sure and confident that the one who could judge them is the one who's justified them. Man, something incredible happens. There is no fear in judgment for those that are his, which causes us to ask the question then, are we his? Are we his? Because like, I firmly believe you're gonna be surprised at some of the people you see in heaven. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna wanna judge people through our eyes and our ways and our carnal means, but Jesus judges us very differently. We're not judged off ourselves, we're judged off of him. So there's no fear and judgment for those that are his. Which takes us to the second thought for this morning is that you don't have to be perfect, but you do need to be honest. You don't have to be perfect, but you do need to be honest. So let's go back to the fig tree. This tree that Jesus curses, and let's be honest, we're just being real here, seems a little weird, right? Like, dude is savior of the world, can stand up to the pressure of talking to Caesar, but he's screaming at a tree. It's a little different. His problem with the fig tree, though, wasn't really just with the fig tree. Like, have you ever been angry about something, but then realize you're not really angry about that? There's something else going on here. Like when you go to my house and you get the milk out of the fridge and there's like this much left in the bottom, I do that to my wife, if I'm being honest. I leave just a little bit of milk. She gets frustrated and I'm like, I don't know, must be the kids, right? But there's something else going on here. So here's the thing. Jesus isn't really mad at the tree, but he does everything with a plan and with a purpose. And so his plan and his purpose with this tree is not to simply make a judgment on the tree, but to make a judgment on his people. To say, like this tree, all too often, we are all leaves and no fruit. All too often, we look like everything's great when things aren't as great as we really say they are. Now, here's the problem with the tree. If we're going to boil it down to one word other than false advertising, because that's two, one word would be this, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. All too often, Jesus, with his people, he's dealing with people who have an issue with hypocrisy. Now, hear me out. I want you to understand what hypocrisy is not. Hypocrisy is not, I knew the right thing to do, and I failed to do it. Or, I knew what I shouldn't do, and I did it anyways. That's, that's not hypocrisy, that's just sin. We all do that. Every single one of us, right? On our best day. Like the Apostle Paul even says, like, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I still do it. I, I don't think I'm better than Paul. I make the same mistakes. I, make, I have the same sin in my life. Hypocrisy is not just sinning. Here's what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is the gap between what we show and who we are. Hypocrisy is the gap between what we show and who we are. In fact, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he calls them hypocrites, the word he uses when you translate it, means one who wears a mask. One who wears a mask. In other words, you are playing pretend. You put the mask up, you're presenting yourself as something that you're not. What you show and who you are, there's a gap. That gap is called hypocrisy. Here's the thing about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy hurts us. Like hurts us. Because let's, let's think about it realistically for a second. Can you get better when you're not honest. You can't. 
hypocrisy is only going to hurt you because you can't actually see progress in an area that you're not willing to acknowledge is there. But hypocrisy also hurts the people closest to us. Like it's unreal how many times, once again, you sit and you talk to people. You don't have to be a pastor to experience this. You just got to be a person. And you talk to somebody and it's like something came out. And all of a sudden, this family that you knew that was so great and so tight, and we'd say they're the model of what a good, God-fearing family is, all of a sudden you're like, what happened? It wasn't just one thing. Often, it's the, the small things over time that led to this gap between who they were and what they showed. Hypocrisy caught up. But then think about it from the church's perspective, because we really need to be focused on this. Hypocrisy really hurts the witness of the church. Hypocrisy really keeps us from being able to represent Christ the way that we should. In fact, Brendan Manning, he put it like this. He said, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So, man, the hypocrisy, because here's the deal. There are hypocrites everywhere. Right, you, you've even heard people say like, well, you know, the church is full of hypocrites and then people say like, well, yeah, come on, there's room for one more. Like, I get that. Here's the problem. It's to me, I, I'm afraid that like actually downplays how serious it is that people look at hypocrisy, they look at the church and they see hypocrisy. Because we're called to be different. We're not called to pick and choose when we wanna do the moral and right thing. We don't have to be perfect, but man, we gotta be honest. We shouldn't be people who's like, they find out stuff about us later. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be honest. And that's why the answer to hypocrisy is honesty. That we have to find and make, create ways to be honest with God and honest with other people. To say, man, I'm not going to just do things the way that anybody else could do it. I'm going to be honest right where I am. We've got to get honest with God and get honest with other people. In fact, Solomon writes it like this in Proverbs 28. He says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So what Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live, says that if you want to actually see progress in your life, you want to become more like Jesus. So you can do what Jesus did. You can live like Jesus lived. If you want to do that, you've got to be honest. You've got to confess where you're wrong and move on, which takes us to our final thought this morning, and that's that it's not too late to turn around. <clears throat> it's not too late to turn around. So Valentine's Day, just a couple weeks ago, and uh, you know, you remember Valentine's Day both good and bad, right? Most people have good stories and bad stories. I'm going to share with you one of the bad stories, Okay. So years ago, uh, my wife and I had said, because normally Valentine's Day, not a huge deal for us. We have two birthdays and Christmas in December. We get to February 14th, you're kind of like, can we just like go out to eat? And not like on Valentine's Day, because there's too many crowds. Can we go out like the day before, one o'clock to Longhorn with a gift card? That would be awesome, right? Because that's how we roll. <clears throat> if you ever see us somewhere that has a waiter or waitress, chances are we have a gift card, okay? But this Valentine's Day, we, we decided together, at least in my memory, I will admit the details are a little, little foggy. My wife does not agree with me in these details, but she is not here this service. She was here at the nine. So now I can disagree vehemently and say she was wrong. Here's what we agreed on. 
we agreed no presents for Valentine's Day. And I did not get her a present for Valentine's Day. And all the married men in the room go, you idiot. How dumb can you be? Because my wife remembers it differently. She said, yeah, we agreed no presents, but then you said, I got you something small. And I thought, I, I don't remember that. But I guess I have to take your word for it. But my thought was like, what? I'm not getting you anything, right? So I, I come home that night from work and my wife hands me a present. I was livid, like as heated as you can get. Like I went from like, oh, we're gonna enjoy the night. And I'm like, why'd you give me a gift? We said we weren't getting anything. Now I look stupid, you look great. I look bad, you look good, way to go. And then because I'm so cool, calm and collected, what I did is I looked at her in the eye and I said, baby, you deserve better and I'm sorry. How many of you know that's totally not true? What I did is I said, fine, you want a present? Let me get my keys. I'll just walk right back out the house. I'm going to get you a present. So I went to Target and got my baby shelves. Because that's the most romantic thing you can do on Valentine's Day is I know you like couponing. I'm going to buy you some metal shelves. Man of your dreams right here, right? And I put those shelves together and I was so angry the whole time. Like, yo, I'm not gonna get you a present. I'm gonna get you a present every year now. I do buy her a present every year now, okay? We don't even talk about it. <clears throat> what I should have done, like looking back now, what I should have done is when my wife handed me a present and I had nothing to give her, I should have said, I'm sorry, and then moved on. She would have been a little upset, right? But not nearly as upset as some big guy yelling at her about shelves, right? I should have just said I was sorry and moved on. Can I tell you, there are so many times in life where I think we would be so much better off is if we quit, quit fighting out of our own insecurity and our own desire to be right and to justify ourselves. And if we just were like, you know what? I was wrong. Let's acknowledge it and then move on. Let's acknowledge it and turn around. We'd be so much better if we quit fighting against this very real thing that we're called to do. That's just admit where we're falling short and try to move forward. Now what happens for a lot of us is we get to a point in life, and maybe this is just me, where you feel like at this point I just am who I am and that's probably not gonna change. Like, I didn't feel this way when I was like one of the teenagers up here. I'm like, oh, we, got, we can change all the time. The older I get, the more I'm like, I feel like this is probably just part of me now. And what happens is, is subtly, it kind of works itself into our relationship with Jesus to where we go, man, I know I should change, but I just don't think I can. Here's what I need you to hear, is if you've got breath in your lungs, you've got an opportunity to change. If you've got breath in your lungs, you've got an opportunity to change. How you walked in isn't how you have to walk out. The habits you've had aren't the habits you have to keep. The habits you have are habits you can break. Things can be different. If you've got breath in your lungs, you've got an opportunity to change. And that changing happens in this one biblical term that we don't use a lot outside of church, but it's so important. It's repentance. 
To repent literally means to change your mind. To say, it doesn't have to be this way anymore. That I can acknowledge where I've come up short and I can turn around. I can repent. I can change my mind and with God's help, change the way I'm walking. I can change. I love how it's talked about here in Acts chapter three. It says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. To blot something out is literally to wipe it clean, right? Like you're getting rid of the stain, rid of the harmful effects, you are blotting it out. So he says, repent, turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So here's what happens when we repent. Repentance opens the door for relationship and renewal. Repentance opens the door for relationship and renewal. Now, when I repent, if I don't have a relationship with Jesus, if I'm not living as though he's Lord of my life, when I repent, I'm opening the door to say, okay, Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. How I've been living, I'm just gonna acknowledge it here and now and say, there's better for me. And with God's help, the help of the Holy Spirit, who's gonna live inside of you, the moment you make that confession, you're gonna have the power to change. This isn't something you do on your own, this is something God does in you and you partner with him in it. But he's gonna give you the power to change. Now for others of us, repentance isn't just for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Repentance is for everybody. That means that even now, even at the age and stage of life you're in, there might be some things where you'd say, man, how I'm living, how I'm thinking, how I'm processing, something needs to be different. And with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, he's letting you know it can be different so that he can help you change. But many times, the difference between us staying where we are or us getting closer to where God wants us to be is confession. It's repentance, it's admitting how I've been going is not how I should continue to go. I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna acknowledge the sin in my life and then with God's help, I'm gonna turn around. So I'm gonna give you one last thing that I think is the, the cheat code for change. And this is not unique to me. There's so many people who've written about this and talked about this. But let's say you have something in your life right now that you'd say, man, that needs to change. It is easy to focus on what needs to change and forget that really it's a who that needs to change. It's not what you do, it's who you are. So what we're gonna do in this moment is we're just gonna invite the Holy Spirit. He's here already, he's inside of you, he's in the room. We're gonna invite the Holy Spirit to inspect us. So here's what, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If you would, just where you are, bow your head and close your eyes. Here's what I want you to ask. Holy Spirit, where do I need to change? For some of you in the room, what needs to change 
So you need to start a relationship with Jesus today. Today needs to be the day where you decide, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna turn around. You don't have to be perfect for that to happen. You don't have to have all your questions answered for that to happen. You just have to be willing in this moment to acknowledge there needs to be a change. With God's help, I wanna change and I wanna put him in charge of my life. I wanna make him Lord of my life. If that's you, nobody's looking around except for me, just where you are, would you just raise your hand for just a moment? For just a moment. That's awesome. For others of us in here, here's what I wanna remind you. When you pray that prayer, Holy Spirit, what needs to change? He is faithful. He's gonna show you. And with his help, let's get to work. So Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this room. We thank you for your example. Even on days like that Monday where you curse a fig tree and you're judging people in the temple and judging what's happening in the temple and you're going through and knocking over tables and kicking people out, all these things that you're doing, we thank you that you do that with a plan and with a purpose. God, I pray for, for my friends in this room who are just gonna be honest enough to acknowledge that something needs to change. I pray that you'd remind them of the power that you give them, the power that's at their disposal, that this is not something they do on their own, but this is something you are initiating inside of them right now, and you are gonna carry it on to completion. You're gonna do the heavy lifting, and we're just gonna partner with you. For those who raise their hand to start a relationship with you, Jesus, I thank you. We know that, that even now there's a party happening in heaven because people in this room and maybe even those online have acknowledged that they need to repent, they need to change. God, you are so good to us. Pray that you would help us to not forget the conviction of this moment, but to walk out of here letting it catapult us into the rest of our day and the rest of our week. Jesus, once again, we're so thankful for you. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.